Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Hey, welcome to this, uh, what is it, Wednesday today? I lose track. Happy Wednesday to you. Uh, hump day, is that what the cool kids call it? Hump day! I saw that ad. Welcome to this episode. What is it? Number 285. We're moving right through them, huh? Uh, we're going to kick off today's program talking about the minimum wage. In honor of Black History Month, fast food workers across the country went on a one-day strike last week demanding a $15 minimum wage. The vast majority of economists and their studies that show that by increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour, it could have an impact on a number of businesses. Congressional Democrats are in a standoff over raising the federal pay for for the first time in more than a decade. As you said, we don't get to 15 till 2025. But what it means is that there's $107 billion more in people's pockets to spend in the economy. And that uh, helps everybody do better. Does it? Do we know that for sure? Is that borne out in the numbers? That the higher goes the national federal minimum wage, uh, that uh, it's something akin to a, a rising tide lifting all ships or something like that? Or have we lost sight of maybe a more fundamental question, whether or not it should be on the shoulders of the federal government or whether or not it should be the responsibility of the federal government to set a minimum wage? Now, I, if I'm honest, I haven't paid too close attention to this minimum wage issue, right? It's one of those things that uh, from time to time it comes up and then it goes away. It uh, waxes and wanes and it's one of those uh, almost akin to the flag burning debate where it, uh, it comes up and uh, people like me and talk radio, yap, yap, yap about it for a time and then it goes away and fades for a season until it returns uh, next year. Th- this has been one of those topics, but... But on the heels of this COVID era and in the midst of all of the stimulus talks or the relief talks uh, going on in Washington, D.C. right now, it has again uh, moved to the forefront. But this time, I I perceive it to be uh, discussed and debated with a greater vigor than has been the case in the past. I think that if we're going to see a change to this federal minimum wage, it is going to be this year. Or at least uh, it will come from conversations kicked off this year. But I'm not certain that that's a good thing. I'm not certain that any of the competing federal minimum wage proposals are what's uh, best for our nation. 
We're going to take a, a break later on. After that, I'm going to invite your phone calls. I want you to weigh in. Should it be the federal government setting the minimum wage? I put this question up on social media. Uh, let me see exactly how I phrased it. I don't want to get the question wrong because I want to uh, ask you exactly. The question is this. Should there even be a federal minimum wage? Now, you'll notice that I am repeating uh, federal minimum wage, federal minimum wage, federal minimum wage. Don't forget that there are statewide and even municipal minimum wages. What does that mean? And how has that factored into this conversation? And why does it lead me today to question whether or not there ought to be a federal minimum wage? Well, I had to go back a couple of years and collect some data. Uh, and this data was compiled by uh, the New York Times. All right. I, I know you might have some feelings about the New York Times, but uh, one of the good things about numbers is uh, that regardless of who's reporting them, uh, numbers are objective. Right. Mathematical equations uh, really have very little room for for a subjective analysis. And here's what uh, was discovered. And this this comes from the numbers in 2019. <clears throat> they reveal that the effective minimum wage across the United States is almost $12, $11.80. That's well over. And that's in 2019. And I'll explain in a moment why the number today is even larger. But let's just base this conversation on those 2019 numbers. $11.80, the effective minimum wage. How is that possible? We seven twenty-five is the minimum wage, right? Well, it turns out uh, that well over the majority uh, of states in this nation have a, a statewide minimum wage, which well surpasses that of the federal government. And not only states, there are municipalities where the minimum wage is set to a certain level. And in each case where a municipality has taken it upon itself to install a minimum wage, it has always been well above, certainly the 725, it's got to be, right? But on top of that, even all the way back in 2019, it was well, well beyond the $10 being proposed by some in Washington right now. Not quite the $15 uh, as is proposed by some, uh, but a larger number nonetheless. Now, what does that mean? Why is that important? <clears throat> well, it turns out that the majority of minimum wage workers are earning well over the current federal minimum wage. Well over the federal minimum wage. 89% of the nation's 6.8 million minimum wage employees face a minimum that is higher than the federal minimum wage. Almost 90%. And again, I told you, I'm drawing from 2019 numbers. And in 2020 and this year, 2021, uh, each and every one of those states which have been operating with a minimum wage above, well above the federal numbers, they're increasing this year as well. And so that 89% is likely even larger today. Already making uh, well over the 725 federal minimum wage. Why does that matter? It matters for this reason. It matters because the states are much more closely connected to the workers within their borders. And if you take it a step further, the municipalities even closer. And if 
It has already been demonstrated that various states have uh, looked inward at themselves within their own borders, analyzed the the economies and the needs of uh, the workers and employers of their respective states and have been able to create a scenario in which the minimum wage is more appropriately uh, applied or more appropriately calculated. Why is it the federal government believes and feels that it ought to be involved in making nationwide decisions. Consider this, again, drawing from a compilation of the data conducted by the New York Times just a few short years ago, uh, and since then the numbers have only increased. Uh, The average wage in the bottom third of wage distribution, that's minimum wage workers and others, it's risen an average of 2.3% annually over the last three years, that's a uh, reference to uh, 2017, 2018, and 2019, meaning that annually there has been a rise of 2.3% of the wages that's grown for minimum wage workers. Now, what does that mean? Think about inflation. Inflation is what? About 2%? And so these minimum wage workers when impacted by the decisions made by their respective states and municipalities, have been able to out-earn the growth posed by inflation. And again, somehow the federal government still believes it ought to be involved in this type of decision-making. Hmm. What do you think? As you, as you hear these debates, these various proposed Uh, plans to raise the federal minimum wage, Uh, very basically, first off, do you think it ought to, is there a number you think is appropriate at the federal level? But more fundamentally, ask yourself this question, should there even be a federal minimum wage? Should there even be a federal minimum wage? 57500, that's the Utah Community Text Line. And I'd like you to get on the phone. We're going to take a break in about 30 seconds or so here. But after the commercial, I want to hear from you. Should there even be a federal minimum wage? Or, number one, can states handle things on their own, municipalities as well? Or, number two, you take an even further step back, getting into uh, you know more, a much more hands-off approach. Should there be minimum wage anywhere? Or should uh, the market decide? Should negotiations between employer and employee or potential employer and employee steer uh, the wages earned by workers? Get on the phone. I want to talk to you about the minimum wage. 801-KSL-TALK is the number. 801-575-8255. 801-KSL-TALK. Give me a call. Should there even be a federal minimum wage? Your call's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back. We're talking about federal minimum wage whether or not it's appropriate for the federal government to be the level of government looking at a federal at a minimum wage and beyond that should governments at all even at the state or municipal level be installing minimum wages i bring this up because there are a number of competing proposals in washington dc right now uh, and there's much debate and it's a conversation that comes up from time to time that the federal minimum wage ought to be raised. It's been uh, sitting at seven twenty-five. Is that what it is uh, for for some time now? And there are many saying that's uh, that's just untenable. We just can't uh, live with that number. Well, uh, some some digging this morning uh, here in the newsroom. I have discovered that uh, while yes, the federal minimum wage is seven twenty-five an hour. The effective minimum wage, meaning 
the the minimum wage paid on average to workers to the uh, minimum wage workers across the country right now is eleven dollars and eighty cents. In fact, it's even more than that uh, because the most recent numbers I have here all uh, are using 2019 numbers to calculate. And since then, states and municipalities who have broken with the federal government to offer uh, or rather to ensure uh, an even higher minimum wage have grown since 2019. 89% of the 6.8 million workers in the United States that earn minimum wage level compensation are making higher than the 725 federally mandated minimum wage. What's that mean? It means states and municipalities have stepped up and changed things. And so my question is, and the question that's uh, uh, being responded to in the text messages right now, I invite you to add yours to this long list. I'll read them in a moment, 57500, is this. Should the federal government even be installing a minimum wage? We'll go to the phones as well. And I invite your calls if you have any thoughts on that. The number is 801-575-8255. 801-KSL-TALK is the number. We'll start with John. John, welcome to the program. How are you? Not bad, Lee. How are you, buddy? Not bad. Always good to hear from you. What do you think about this? Am I off base, or or, or should it be uh, something looked upon by the states? I, I think we have to have a federal minimum wage. I think we're so far out from the labor movements that people have forgotten what how business will take advantage of the worker. I mean, our government right now is based upon a profit-first kind of scenario to where everything's about profit but to to not have a minimum wage people will just take advantage like they used to i mean i've been on both sides i own my own business i make a lot of money right now but i used to work for ten dollars an hour and to have to put in 84 hours a week just to be able to live isn't really living and if we don't have federal government say something we know, Lee, that businesses care about profit, and that's it. How about and this? If we don't say a say in that, that's what it'll be. I, I'm not. I'm not entirely debating whether or not there should be a minimum wage. I think that's a debate for another day. Uh, but for today, what I'm focusing on is the role of either the federal government or the state government. What about this scenario? Say there are you know states that are making different decisions, which is exactly the case right now. Here in Utah, uh, we match the, the the federal minimum wage seven twenty five. But let's say uh, that you know someone wants to earn a little bit more, and they see that oh, over in California, uh, they have a, a much higher minimum wage, almost twice uh, what is available to minimum wage workers here in the state of Utah. What if they were to uh, move to California? If they were to, to go there uh, in sufficient numbers to uh, demonstrate a trend and then, uh, you know, lawmakers that are evaluating tax revenues and the various companies would have to look at that and see uh, maybe we should adjust to that. Is is that a plausible scenario and does that uh, give way to possibly, you know, a scenario in which folks are able to, to earn something livable or does it have to be the federal government? Well, it's, then business will just go wherever the cheapest is. If the federal government doesn't step in, then just like they do now, whatever state has the least taxes, that's where they go because they're worried about profit first. Instead of people and the public first, then you know we wouldn't really have to worry about it. But since we're so based on a profit-based system to where even our stimulus 
we only get about a tenth of that money. The rest goes to business. Uh, until we can get business on people first and have some kind of say in their company like they used to at, during unions and stuff, yeah. then there's, there, there's, there's no point in having people do it themselves. I mean, we're a right-to-work state, which means you have to work overtime if your employer says. I mean, there's yeah. so many craziness that if the federal government's not in their league, business will do whatever they can, just like they did in the 20s when – there was no labor laws. Listen, John, I'm grateful to you for the call. Thanks so much. Uh, I, the, we do have to look at both sides. There is what the employers uh, communicate as their willingness to pay, but also there is a responsibility borne uh, by the employees. If an employee accepts a certain wage, then that gives permission to the employer to pay that certain wage. Now, I know that uh, we don't have the the time or resources to go uh, collect up our friends who are all applying for the same job or types of jobs and saying, hey, listen, uh, let's uh, form something akin to a union and and say that we're not going to work unless we're paid uh, this amount of money. If that were to happen, though, uh, piecemeal and in large enough numbers, there may be an opportunity to uh, to move the needle in terms of what the employers are paying uh, as compensation uh, based on the negotiations of the potential employers or employees, rather. Uh, Rachel calling from Orem. Rachel, welcome to the program. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. I'm grateful to you for calling. Answer me this question. Should the federal government even be involved in this question of a minimum wage? I do think yes, but not to the extent that a lot of people are saying that they should be. Um, My experience is working at a minimum wage for a while for company um, here in Utah. And what I was seeing is what your first caller just said, is that the company took advantage of that. And they didn't put their people first, realizing that they could, if they paid their people more, they would have better staying power and better, they'd retain their employees better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do feel like it should be the state's right to, or it should be the state's responsibility to raise that up to really appropriate levels. But I do think it's the federal responsibility to back that up to make sure it doesn't fall below like super inappropriate levels where I feel like the 725 is at that inappropriate level at this point. All right. Well, Rachel, listen, thank you for listening. Thanks for calling in and your uh, perspective there. I I wonder, and I'm no economist, right? And so you may be listening to me saying, Lee, you're you're off in left field here. How how, how could you uh, decide to weigh in on this one? Well, the... The good thing about uh, principles is that they they do apply uh, regardless. They apply regardless to the you know the the experiences. Uh, you know I'm I'm not a, a business owner, um, but I do understand principle, and I do understand that the states and the municipalities. I, I was so grateful to be reminded of how many municipalities have made the decision to uh, really step up on behalf of their residents and uh, where it has been deemed appropriate, raise the minimum wage. You know, uh, the the most local of governments ought to be making decisions, uh, I believe, that impact the the worker, the family, uh, to this extent. And again, we are seeing that when left to their own devices, that the states and municipalities, in fact, do end up offering much more, or at least guaranteeing 
much more in the form of a minimum wage than is right now the case at the federal level. Seven twenty-five is the state uh, minimum wage in Alaska. In Alaska, by the end of this year, ten thirty-five. Arizona, twelve fifteen. Arkansas, eleven dollars. In California, fourteen dollars is the minimum wage. Colorado, twelve dollars and thirty-two cents. Connecticut, thirteen dollars. Washington D.C., fifteen. Florida, ten. Hawaii, ten ten. Maryland, eleven seventy-five. This list goes on and on. States, states ought to be in the driver's seat here. Quick break. We're going to talk about the return to normalcy next on Live Mike here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.